Professor Arteus Wiltsblood straightens his tie-dye tie, the same one that he had worn to school for every crazy Charlie day for the past 30 shadow years. A banner reading, Stormvale University History Club, hangs above the library as the professor sits nervously looking at his watch. He hears footsteps and whips around in excitement. Another late night, Artie? Oh, it's just you, Professor Weiss. So no one came, huh? Artie shakes his head in disappointment. I thought I could get these kids interested in history. Emma sits down next to Artie. Even beyond his prime, he's happy to notice that his heart can still occasionally flutter. You know, they probably heard about Pennyweather and went to take a peek. Wait, what? You didn't hear, did you? Jeez, Artie, do you even watch the news? Emma pulls out her cell stone, which may as well be made of wires and computer chips to old Professor Wilt's blood. Oh, those fads. I've no need for them. It's the way of the future, Artie. The way of the future. Emma grins at Artie as she pushes buttons. She's not into you, you old coot. She's in her thirties. You're twenty years older than her, Artie thinks to himself. Hey, here it is. Emma turns up the cellstone volume somehow as a reporter stands atop Cape Ouroboros on the outskirts of Stormvale. Well, Johnny, a group of kids found the body crushed on the rocks at the bottom of the cliff sometime early in the morning. A full autopsy needs to be performed to determine a cause of death, but if I had to guess, I'd say he fell. Back to you, Johnny! And did you hear all the hubbub about the hand of Keziah banishing? She said hubbub. Now I know that she's the one for me. Artie thinks to himself. Sorry, what? Emma laughs. Maybe it's time to check those ears, old man. I said, did you hear that the hand of Keziah banished him from town yesterday? I heard Hartley Bravenblade was there, too. Artie goes stone-faced. The hand of Keziah? You mean they're behind this? I mean, no one's saying it, but it seems a little coincidental, don't you think? Quite. Emma glances at her watch. Aw, oh, man. I've got to get home. Arya's going to wonder where I'm at. Plus, if I leave her alone too long, she'll find a way to get in trouble. <sighs> She's exhausting. Oh, I I see. Uh, good night, Emma. Be, be careful out there. Emma smiles and begins to walk away, but turns around suddenly. Oh, I forgot the whole reason I came here. My uncle passed away about a month ago, and I've been going through some of his things. I found this really old book in a language I don't recognize. Would you maybe want to take a look at it? Sure. I'll, I'll be in here tomorrow night if you want to drop it off. Aw, you're in here again? Really? We really need to get you some less sad hobbies. They laugh together, and Emma walks away. Artie stares perhaps a hair too long as she does. After she's gone, he returns to pensive thought. The Hand of Keziah. What are they up to? He wonders. Artie thinks for a moment, then looks over to a pen and paper on the long library desk. The next morning, class goes as usual. There are students talking about how they saw Ronald Pennyweather's crushed body. A lot of them say that they co-ed Oswald it all over it before the media arrived. Some students blame Chillery Stenson and her wretched snakes. Some blame the Hand of Keziah. Some blame the Abernathy family, and some even blame the little bard and wizard that suddenly started hanging around the royal family recently. 
After his morning classes, Artie gives his letter to Jerry, the little goblin mailman, along with the usual 20 silver piece tip that he gives when he mails a letter. He hopes that the Stormvale Sun will run his letter. He believes wholeheartedly that the hand of Keziah must be stopped, though he can hardly blame them for the death of Pennyweather. Later in the afternoon, he sits in the library underneath the same Stormvale University History Club banner. Again, the library is empty. He isn't exactly surprised, but it stings a little bit each time, nonetheless. As he sits, he daydreams about asking Emma out. Even in a daydream, he feels guilty. He wonders what Cecilia would have thought. He redirects his daydream to one where the sickness didn't take her. One where they grew old together. One where they had kids. One where he had the guts to say goodbye. Hey there, old man. Sorry I'm late. He snaps out of his daydream as Emma strides in, carrying a large, black, leather-bound book. The second thing he notices is her new skirt, which he dares not mention as to avoid seeming like a pervy old man. No problem, although you are interrupting my very busy schedule. She laughs and sits down next to him, plopping the large book down on the desk. It crashes with a loud thud that echoes throughout the vast, empty library. Here it is, the family jewels. It's not uncommon, I can tell you that much. Past that, I'm stumped. <laughs> stumped. Artie laughs as he turns on the lamp at the desk and begins to examine the book. This is ancient elvish. Really ancient. I, I should be able to read most of it. It's called The Biography of Davros the Dark Elf by Finnegan Weiss. Do you, do you recognize that name? No. I wonder how old that thing is. Artie flips through a few of the pages until he finds something that piques his interest. The book reads, Going through the ancient ruins of Tyr, the first known drow settlement in the mountains of Guardia, our team unearthed some ancient elven documents. Davros the Dark Elf was the leader of Tyr for nearly ten shadow years, unheard of for the time due to civil war and skirmishes with the Wolf Chaser tribe and the Abernathy tribe, among others. He and his settlement prospered, and would regularly trek through the mountains and search for more habitable land on which they could expand. However, these documents note that one time he came back different, according to his partner, Drathena. He was hollow, broken. He kept going on about a crazy vision he'd had and how he couldn't take it anymore. The pain of knowledge. He committed suicide only a few days after returning from that final trip. The following poem was found pinned to Davros's hanging body. Into the deep heart of madness I saw, a faraway dream aboard a black star. I know not what struck me or how it began, only dark space spreading farther than far. The way that it took me I dimly recall, atop an old mountain incredibly high. Seemed like nothing at first, a flittering glow, but as we collided I felt I could fly. It devoured me whole, complete ego collapse a place I could see the beginnings of time. I was not me, and you were not you. All became one of a conscious combined. At first I was happy, or as close as could be, given myself had no meaning or shape. But forever is too long for one to endure, a million forevers, no hope for escape. The star became angry at my disrespect. It had tried to bestow on me ultimate peace, but peace without chaos is empty and dead, and I humbly requested for my release. It swelled and I saw it, an ethereal glow, a being beyond comprehensible thought. 
It revealed its true shape, and my eyes were destroyed, and the harder I pulled, the worse that it got. Words do not suit such a terrible sight. Tendrils and mouths in a pulsating form, more massive than anything that I'd ever seen. A thing from which our little cosmos was born. I woke up on the mountain, mostly intact, meant to believe it was all just a dream. But things that I know cannot be unknown, and things that I've seen cannot be unseen. I saw it. I saw it, the first and the last. A long, hard look at the eternal divine. I can't remain here knowing how the world ends, but at least all that it cost was my mind. What do you think it means? It sounds an awful lot like... Hold on a minute. Artie puts his pen in his mouth inquisitively as he thinks. Then he goes over to the card catalog system and disappears into one of the incredibly long rows of books. He walks and walks as Emma becomes smaller and smaller before disappearing completely. After minutes of walking, he reaches the non-fictional mythology section. Chroma gods? Nope, not those. Uh, gods of the trees? Not quite. Ah, Kaziah, here we are. He grabs a handful of books about Kaziah, including a copy of the Sacred Writ, and returns down the long corridor to the library desk. Emma is resting her head on the desk, having turned off the lamp. Arya didn't let you get much sleep last night, did she? Artie hesitates for a moment, but decides to go for it, thinking she's probably asleep anyway. Uh, by the way, is Arya your daughter? Your dog, maybe? And if she is your daughter, is, is there a man in the picture? Emma doesn't respond. Artie pats her on the back to wake her up. Emma, you okay? He turns on the lamp, and that's when he sees the blood seeping out of her throat. Oh, oh my god! Artie feels a sharp pain in his back. The dagger sinks in several more times, though he no longer feels it. He tries to reach behind him, but realizes he can't make his arms do it. He falls to the ground helplessly, seeing two figures dressed predominantly in black. As he starts to fade, he hears faintly, Where the hell did he get this book? What is it? Priceless artifact. Did our informant at the sun intercept the article? Yes, sir. It won't run. Good. Clean up here. Take care of the daughter, too. Artie stares sadly. He knows who it is, even without seeing them. He knows he's right. He regrets not trying harder to stop them. In his final moments, he feels sorry that Emma got caught in the crossfire. And he hopes, despite his better judgment, that he'll get to reunite with Cecilia once more. That they're not just both lost to time. He gasps, his final breath trembling. At last, he closes his eyes. And he sees what appears to be a large, black star looming in the distance. The quest for-